Hey. You know, hey it's, there. Brent. it's Brent Leary. You know, it's it's uh, what I call the BBC, not the British guys. It's the Brent Broadcasting Channel. And we're back two days in a row. Yesterday, I had a really good conversation with uh, Adam Blitzer from Salesforce. And today, we're going to have another good conversation. And actually, it's kind of ironic that uh, uh, the guy I'm going to have the conversation with today actually ran into Adam. I think it was at Sunday. They were doing some kind of a wine tasting thing. Yeah. Something that I probably would never run into either of those two at, but it's good that I get these highbrow people on my show here. And Scott Beach. <laughs> it's called. It's, it's, thanks, Brent. Thanks for that. It's a war, nice warm intro. I appreciate it. No, it's, hey, it's, called, it's called get. It's called getting out of getting out of San Francisco for a second to get some fresh air. Hey, it's good to see you, man. I, you know, you I'll have too. a little fun, but it's actually really good to see you. And uh, first of all, of course, Scott Beach. He is a partner. At uh, I want to make sure I get it right. Norwest Venture Partners. That Thanks for correct. joining me, man. Thanks for joining me. It's great to see you as always, Brent. Great to reconnect. I, I think the last time, yeah, you know, I got to bring this up, man, because it's still like a pain, a, a thorn in the side of both Paul Greenberg and myself. Because I think the last time we saw you, we were actually we came to the desk.com headquarters, and we were there to shoot this like day long. Uh, CRM players on location video, and I mean, I remember we that. had a host of people that we had. We did all these really great video conversations with. I mean, we had uh, Marie Rosecrans; she did a great uh, piece. We had you, and and who was the other gentleman you we we were with when we were having a conversation with you? John Anyano. That's right, John. I'm glad because it's hard for me to say Anyano. John Anyano. That's right. We had a an awesome conversation and then we had like like we were there for like three or four hours of just great good times we thought great times uh, great conversations and nobody will it. ever see those <laughs> yeah i enjoyed doing it but nobody will ever see those episodes because for there was some kind of a mix-up with the actual video and so um i'm glad that you and i both have the memories because that's pretty much all we're going to have from that conversation well you know i it was one of the more enjoyable discussions i've ever had on camera and we did i mean it, it was a lot of crm uh you know tech talk business talk all that good stuff but as, as i recall we also got into some other interesting topics like whiskey so it it was it was good you know i mean i i i'm you know call me a conspiracy theorist but somewhere in this world that footage exists and i and when we when we do find it and we dig it up I can't wait for you to show it to the world. I, if that happens, I will let you know first. We will do a preview uh, showing before we show it off to the world. But no, but seriously, it's great to see you again. And and you before too. we get into this conversation, because I, I, I need to ask you a lot about what's going on with you know VC and particularly with the enterprise software um, side of things. But as I try to do every time I have one of these conversations, I like to start it with a simple question. Um, do you have a favorite football team? <laughs> well, so Brent, as as you, uh, I think you know, I grew up in the Midwest and uh, specifically Ohio and Michigan. Mm. And for those who recall that those states do have professional <laughs> football teams, namely uh, the Cleveland Browns and the Detroit Lions, which were the teams that I was the closest to, I don't have a lot of great stories of success and winning over the years, 
Um, you know, we had Barry Sanders. We had a couple other highlights throughout the years. But, you know, I, I, I know you're a Rams fan. And, gosh, you know, got to respect that. Um, you know, so, I, you know, I'm not going to try to compete here. I'm just going to tell you that moving out to the West Coast, um, love the Niners and all, but, you know, and I, I'm sorry about the game the other night. Uh, wasn't mm. fair, you know. I feel for you. Um, I, they're not my team, um, but I do. I, you know, I enjoy a good game anytime, and I'd love to go see a Rams game with you sometime. Hey, that'd be awesome. And look, I, I kind of feel your pain, man. The Browns and Lions aren't those two of the like four or five teams that have like never made it to a Super Bowl. I mean, that's Browns actually made it, uh, believe it or not. Um, the Browns did to a Super Bowl? As I recall. No, we're talking like probably 25 years ago. I have to go back to my history. Somebody needs to fact check me on that one. I'm going to fact check you right now. I'm telling you right now, the Browns have never, ever, ever made it to a Super Bowl. I mean, they came close because, remember, maybe the, it is, maybe the, it was the, the, the drive and the fumble. I mean, does that kind of ring? Yeah, um, yeah you know, some, sometimes, you know, you just kind of like want to squint your eyes a little bit and dream. <laughs> <laughs> and so maybe I think <laughs> we Look were. Sean uh, Wiley there. Yeah, there he is. Hey, Sean. I, guilty on both counts, man. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. Well, Lions for sure. No, but. Uh, and you know we we were we were we were proud fans. It's just you know this year uh, you know Lions. I think we're 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 two and three right now, which isn't you know a great record. What are you guys two and two? No, we're we're four and two. You know, four and two. Okay, should be more than that. But anyway, all right. I yeah. digress. Good for you. Hey, look, as long as your answer wasn't you're you're a Pats fan, we're good to go, man. We're clear sailing, so we're all right. <laughs> we can move on to the next That's subject. Right. <laughs> so, so I mean, seriously, you, now you've been because I I knew you when you were at Salesforce, and then you left Salesforce and you went to uh, Norwest, right? That's correct. Yeah, I, I had a I had a zero day break between the twos. I, I I really did a lot of traveling during that time, and it took some time <laughs> off. Did you like? Were you trying to find yourself as a as a Browns fan or no? I just <laughs> I don't even know. We need to spend any more time on this one. <laughs> it's gonna be as a dark a dark place. <laughs> All right. So how did you get involved with VC, man? How, tell us about that. Yeah, you know, VC was it, it was one of those things where I'd spent probably more of my career as an entrepreneur than I had. Uh, I spent almost seven years at Salesforce, um, but. I love building companies and it's it's always been something that I've enjoyed. I was a software developer out of undergrad and thought maybe I could build software myself. Turned out to not to be the best software developer in the world. Um, you know, sitting behind a screen for too many, too many hours at a time, I kind of lose my mind. Um, start popping up out of the cubicle like a gopher and looking around to try to find somebody to talk to. So that's when I realized, you know, I, I just really love uh, building companies. And so we went on a about a 15 year journey as an entrepreneur and built three companies in a row. And uh, yeah, that's what led me. We sold our last company and led me to Salesforce. Um, but I knew someday I wanted to get back into the building company mode. And you can either do that as an entrepreneur, which was definitely on the table. Um, but VC, especially with Norwest, uh, which is a great platform, just gives you the opportunity to work with a lot of great companies and a lot of great entrepreneurs. And so that it's it seemed like a logical next step. And I, I I, I love it every day and just love the entrepreneurs that I work with. Sean Whiteley, just jumping in there a second ago. He's uh, one of the co-founders uh, in, in the portfolio. So it's always uh, always great to see smart people, creative people doing innovative things and being part of that. 
Uh, by the way, Sean left an extremely long comment about the Browns. Uh, I'll let you read that after uh, we're done. Here. It's going to be of interest to you. <laughs> Can't wait. So, yeah, tell us how how different uh, or what did you think, VC, going into uh, that era, that industry? What were your expectations and how were they different from what it actually was? Yeah, you know, I'd always been on the other side of the table. So I was the entrepreneur who was pitching and having the VCs on the other end side of the table basically tell me no most of the time and tell me all the reasons why I was that company that I was building was never going to be a big category. We were a feature, not a company, you know, or, or you know, I was just I was a 24 year old who just didn't know what I was doing. I mean, that, that's that was kind of the uh, the feedback that and, and that was my experience with VCs. And I, but there were there were like five percent of the VCs that we worked with that invested in us that were incredibly helpful. I mean, they brought more than just the capital to the table. They brought a network. They brought customers. They brought experience. They they helped me avoid the massive potholes that a lot of early entrepreneurs make that just haven't been been around the block uh, a few times. And and though that just that advice, guidance, and you know, just help at the board level was just so incredibly uh, powerful. And I thought maybe one day I could be one of those people who was in that in that five percent. Now. You know, I'm three and a half years in at Norwest, and you know, I'd love to. I, I, the companies that I'm working with right now, I, I think, are the best companies uh, that I've seen in a really long time. So I feel great about that side of it. I'd like to think that I'm I'm adding value, but you know, that's that's my job is to constantly try harder to give back to the companies that I work with and become. I like to treat myself as an employee of of the companies that I invest in. Right. So if they can see me as an extension of their team, then I'm doing my job. Oh, OK. So tell us what your focus areas are. So not surprisingly, um, I love anything having to do with um, the customer, uh, customer engagement, CRM. And CRM is such a broad category now. You know, it started as Salesforce automation. Now, you know, then there was customer service where I spent a lot of my time at Salesforce um, and there's MarTech. And now there's all of these derivative categories. So, um, you know, just to just call out the, the company, since Sean jumped in there, this company qualified, you know, so what they're really doing is that's kind of a, it's a lead capture, lead qualification, sales acceleration capability. So where Salesforce is the master of all things customer and all things experience and history, you know, a company like Qualified front ends that whole thing and says, hey, here's an anonymous lead who's coming to your website. Let's let's bring up everything that we know about this person the second they arrive, pull it out of Salesforce because they're built on Salesforce. And then, you know, just pre 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 provide that to the account executive or the SDR and say, hey, engage with that anonymous visitor. And maybe we know what company they're coming from. Maybe we even know who they are based on, you know, some tracking, some cookies or things like that that we've seen. And have a meaningful, deep conversation with somebody, you know, don't just try to sell to them, like try to build a relationship at a moment where historically over the last 20 years, nobody's been doing that. You know, you just, you get all of these visitors to your website, most of them come and go. Some of them ask for a demo, sign up, but most of them just, just uh, end up leaving. So that idea of engaging with customers at a deeper level, that's what really gets me excited. Because now with data, we have so much more data today about our customers, about the products that they like to buy, 
about you know the demographics, the psychographics, all of these different things. You overlay that with machine learning, deep learning, all these different AI techniques, and it just gets really exciting because you, you start to picture a world in the next 10 years where the, the, the noise level just falls and the, the personalized engagement goes up, the relevance in engaging with customers just becomes more real and more and more personal. And uh, you know, the truth is we are now in a position to decrease all that noise and spam and just create more real relationships between brands and consumers. And that's pretty exciting to me. I mean, we, I want the world to become more human and I want, I want brands to become more human. And I think there's a way, there's a path forward. Uh, by the way, Sean, uh, we need to talk at some point too. It's been a while since I talked to Sean and I think he'd be actually a pretty good guest for this too. So we'll, we'll talk later on, man. Absolutely. So tell me we're, we're about seven to eight months into the pandemic and, uh, the pandemic of course is forced, uh, forced foundational changes in so many different ways. Uh, not just how we shop, but you know, <clears throat> how we live and, and do yeah. things. And some of the ways those changes have you know, been forced on us, uh, some of those changes will be permanent. Um, so talk mm -hmm. about how the pandemic has kind of impacted your outlook and your approach to what you do. If you could kind of take us through, you know, if, if there are any significant changes, has it changed your like the kind of companies you're looking for or the kind of criteria that you're looking for? If you could just tell us a little bit about, you know, how this whole episode has kind of changed your approach to what you do. Yeah. And I, I think that's, you know, that's, that's the billion dollar question is, is how, how is actually, how is the pandemic and just the nature of working remote and the nature of engaging with people when you're not face to face, how's that going to manifest and how, how are there tailwinds that we can look for? You know, um, obviously you see, you know, the video communication companies seeing huge tailwinds for, for th those, that's kind of the most obvious um, answer. But you, I start to look for what are the companies that are enabling us to connect uh, and, and, and just sort of uh, build relationships at a distance. And, and sometimes building relationship is actually a little bit, uh, it can lead to transactions as well. So I look at, I look at online commerce and I look at the way that digital transformation has manifest in all kinds of industries. Retail is a really, really important one because it's a multi-trillion dollar industry and how, how the, the retail companies that were behind and had planned to go through these multi-year transformations to, to build this ideal scenario online where, you know, they're just, they got this incredible presence, mobile and web and just like every touch point with their customer. Now they're snapping their fingers going, okay, we got to make this happen now. And so there are a lot of really interesting enabling companies that are helping retailers get to market faster with, uh, with, a, with a digital solution. And sometimes that's as simple as an e-commerce site. Other times it's, it's ways to engage with customers in an omni-channel way that you know, they hadn't prioritized before. Because if you're a, if you're a retailer uh, or a CPG company of any kind, that relied on brick and mortar locations, you might've been actually doing pretty well before the pandemic. But now all of a sudden you realize, oh my gosh, 
that's just not what the future holds now, probably a year from now, and who knows, maybe indefinitely into the future. So they're scrambling and trying to find ways to solve that problem. So I would say the remote work side of things is, is really interesting and all the enabling companies and technologies there, but then all of the enabling companies that are allowing not just retailers, but certainly retailers as a huge category, but anyone who has to transact, there's a commerce portion to what they do uh, to, to go helping companies accelerate that digital transformation. One of the things that a lot of people have focused on, uh, you know, beforehand, but it seems like the focus has been more emphasized and accelerated, of course, is how, you know, on customer experience and the digital transformational aspects around customer experience. And one of the things I think uh, you're seeing growing an impact uh, almost exponentially, it feels like, is the relationship between customer experience and uh, supply chain management. Uh, you you see that you know part of the customer experience today when they order online is they want to make sure they get the stuff when they get, you know when they're expecting to get it. Maybe you could talk about like, are you seeing any other kind of the relationship patterns or changes between? you know, different kinds of enterprise enterprise applications, particularly around CRM-ish kind of things and how that's impacting maybe the decision-making to go after uh, this kind of company or that kind of company. Yeah, you know, I think there's a lot of optimization left around uh, just, just, just the entire buying experience. And, and it's, not, it's not just a digital problem. It's actually, I was just discussing this the other day uh, with somebody about the fact that there's so many ways to, that we can create an Amazon-like experience for any retailer in the world. Because Amazon has obviously pioneered the idea of owning the entire supply chain from the beginning of sourcing products, sometimes even creating their own products, all the way through the delivery of those products to your home with Amazon delivery trucks, and then even retail locations, their Amazon Go concept. Well, it's a, it's a great model, but in order to make that happen for all kinds of other retailers, it has to be built in, in sort of a, a more easily consumable way and a more generic way that, that, can, that, that can really broadly across multiple industries work and, and, and plug in quickly. I think the logistics industry is an industry is an interesting one because you know, historically that you haven't seen too many companies focused on this. How do we do, how do we enable same day delivery for any retailer? How can we offer that as a service? It's an interesting problem. When you ask yourself, it's not, it's, it's, it's a lot of mechanics. It's warehousing, inventory management, it's uh, logistics of actually transportation of the products. It's predictive uh, stocking uh, and warehousing of products. It's geolocation, uh, or ge uh, sorry, geographic um, models around, you know, product uh, um, demand. And those are a lot of the things that, you know, obviously Amazon has been, been working on. But when you start thinking about building horizontal companies to serve the needs of thousands and thousands of other retailers to enable that same thing to happen, it's a pretty interesting problem set with not one, one single company to come out and solve it. It's, there's going to be a slew of new and interesting companies coming on market. Um, and so, so those are some of the companies that, that I've been focusing on lately. I'm going to pop this up from uh, my buddy Alan Berkson over at Freshworks. What about community, community management? And maybe I'm going to uh, frame it in the, in the standpoint of 
when you look at a company to, to potentially invest in, what role does their community play in, in that? And also, let me ask you, what, what about the ecosystem surrounding that, uh, that company? What kind of, how do those kind of things play into your decision-making about whether to go try to invest or whether to kind of pull away? You know, I think community is more important than anything right now um, in, in terms of how companies and retailers have had to transform. Because it used to be that you could actually, you know, special, specialized products. And, and this, is, this is a category that I'm, I'm particularly fond of right now because products, I'm just use one example, like outdoor sporting goods, okay? The communities are, that are built around online sport, uh, outdoor sporting goods are vast and deep. I mean, people get super passionate about things like snowboards and skis and, you know, like snowmobiles and like all of these, all of these, um, you know, sporting uh, products that are extremely complex. Like, you know, you could have a community of people that really just talks about ski poles. Now, ski poles seem like a really basic product, but when you dig into it, the materials, how they're made, where they're made, where you can buy them, which kind you should be using, you know, the types of grips you can get, the kind of custom. Now, there's there's this uh, one company, I forget the name of it, that's actually making wooden ski poles, and there's some advantages to those, believe it or not, like taking us back 100 years. So I think that communities, like we, we know that that customer reviews drive intelligence and create better transactions. In other words, I become more informed as a consumer and I can engage with a brand and then make us a more informed decision about a product that I wanna buy. But now that things are moving more and more online and, and more quickly, I think the idea of community becomes incredibly more important. And so we're, what, I'm, what I'm looking for and what we're thinking about right now are, how do we bring more communities into not only the, the buying process, but the research and browsing and just awareness and discovery process? Because that's, that's where communities become extremely valuable. Um, so I, you know, I'm, a, I'm a musician myself on the side and uh, uh, never played with these guys, um, but man, uh, would have loved to have a chance. Um, they probably would have kicked me out of the band. But, um, you know, musical instruments. Oh my gosh. Like the communities around that, you could spend days and days and days just reading about these, but there's no centralized place to really get all of that information. And so I think communities are going to have to evolve dramatically. And we're going to have to start centralizing this information because that knowledge and that community, uh, uh, just the depth of the conversations and the, it just the richness of the data that they create, you could curate that, I think you'd have a really, really powerful, powerful capability and, and, a, and maybe even a company of its own. One other thing that just came to mind is, you know, what if you saw this, you have your checklist of things that you look for in a company and you're seeing like all of them just being ticked, like great tech, great management, great community around them, great ecosystem. But what if there's some kind of issues around how they're, handling data, you know, this privacy and things like that. And how, how much do you take that kind of stuff into consideration when you're kind of trying to make that final determination of all these things look great, but man, I don't know that this, I see some, some possible red flags when it comes to data privacy. Hmm. 
Yeah, so I, I have a particular, um, this is very personal for me because, um, you know, way back in the day before uh, everybody was losing their minds about privacy and before, quite frankly, you know, companies were collecting as much data about us as they are today, um, I co-founded a company uh, we call Privacy Right. And that company in back in 1999, 2000 era, era was starting to think about you know, what is the future about data collection? How do you intermediate? And could there be any way to ensure that if, your, that if your personal information was out there with a single company or a group of companies, that it would be used in a way that was consistent with your as the consumer preferences? And so I've carried that thinking through over the last 20 years. And I think, I think a lot of companies take it very, very seriously. Now, like, let's just, let's just set aside the, the, the regulation that we all have to pay attention to, GDPR and you know, HIPAA and you know, PCI and all the things that, that, that are just table stakes nowadays. But I think it's, the question becomes, what are, what are consumers, whether or not there's regulation around it, what are their expectations and what are their needs and what, what kind of companies are going to become really interesting for, for consumers based on trust? Because trust is uh, over time, and you know, we said this at Salesforce, we said it over and over, it was our mantra, that trust is our number one priority. And I try to encourage every one of our companies, every one of the companies, certainly in my portfolio, and I know that Qualified uh, has this as their top, uh, top priority, and they're, you know, they're one, of, one of the things that they think about every single day, but you can't build trust with a consumer these days without, actually demonstrating that you're putting them in control of their personal information and you have complete 100% transparency around what their information is going to be used for. So it's that transparency combined with the controls around saying, okay, here's what we've collected. Here's what we might do with it if you allow us to. And I think opt-in is a really important um, aspect to, you know, is this an opt-in situation or an opt-out situation? You put the consumer in control, it should be opt-in uh, for all in, in almost all cases. So we do, I, I pay a lot of attention to that. And I think that, you know, the trend is that consumers become more and more tuned into this and they care more. And tr the building trust with brands is not just about, hey, here's what data we collect, read our privacy policy. It's about, hey, you know what? He, let us give you the keys to the kingdom, your data, your personal data kingdom. I think that's just, that's the future. And companies that do that well, they're going to build more trust with their, with their customers and their customers will ultimately want to work with them and ultimately buy more over time. Great answer. Um, I want to, I want to hit you with this softball. This is, did I say this this Allen guy was a friend of mine? I, I'm taking it back after this question. But anyway, how important <laughs> is it for companies you invest in to have a band? He's asking for a friend. <laughs> oh, man. Well, you know, um, <laughs> I, I so here's how I look at uh, business. I, I think that, you know, we need to balance lives. And almost everyone i know you you do you certainly do brent you got a million different uh, hobbies and other interests outside of what you do professionally i think that's really healthy i think we all need to have something um you know one of the companies in my portfolio called mind tickle um it's a funny name but uh, these guys are just uh, such such great people 
Um, we've got uh, half the people in India and half the people here in the United States. We got bands. We got the, the company bands have actually <laughs> formed from this company. And I, I had this opportunity to uh, join them for one of their company all hands um, the other day. And they had all 400 employees, 450 employees on there. And they asked me to, and this was, this was a little uh, nerve wracking and certainly a little embarrassing. They asked me to perform a song on piano, which I reluctantly did, but uh, luckily uh, it didn't turn out like a total disaster. And I think they, they appreciate it. But then I got to watch all of the other employees do their thing. And there was some incredible musicians, like that right brain, left brain aspect of, of business and technology. You know, I think it's so important. We do the same thing in Norwest. We got a band at Norwest. And we uh, now during uh, the pandemic, we've been rehearsing on the roof deck uh, of our house, <laughs> of my wife and my house here. It's, it's uh, I think it's a good way to, to, to kind of take your brain away from the tech and the, and the data and the, you know, the day-to-day -day grind of the business and just kind of, you know, take yourself to another place. And so I, I like Alan's question, actually. I'm not going to give him a hard time. I think it's a great question. I think bands are a great way to do that. Not the only way though. I think <laughs> uh, a lot, a lot of my partners and other investors at the firm, huge sports fans, just like you, Brent. And uh, that's also a great way to, to take yourself away. Oh, okay. All right. That's, that's cool stuff. Uh, you know what? Uh, Sh Sean mentioned some, are you a DJ by chance? Do you, do, are you a previous DJ or something? Well, let's just say if you ever hired me to DJ a party of yours, you'd probably fire me right after that because I'm a terrible DJ. Um, I, there was a, there was a time in my life where uh, I had a, I had a group um, and we, did perform at all kinds of different, you know, club nightclubs and things like this. I used to play keyboards though. So I was like the live guy. And then uh, I had a, a music partner who would DJ, we'd go side by side. And sometimes we'd have a singer that would join us. And sometimes we would have, you know, a drummer, we'd have a percussionist and, and those kind of things. So we were trying to combine, you know, house music and, uh, you know, that, that, that style, you know, dance music. Uh, with a lot of live elements. So that was the thing. So no, I, I was never really a DJ. I would, in, in fact, don't ever uh, invite me to your party thinking that I will be a DJ because I will disappoint you. Well, it sounds like you don't need to be a DJ because as Sean is saying, you're a phenomenal musician with a studio in the basement. Now that's something I always wanted. So that's kind of cool. All right, but before my last question, let me get this. So you got Freshworks apparently is using MindTickle uh, for rolling out training. That's Oh, fun. great to hear. Great to hear, Alan. Oh, that's Very that's cool. fantastic. All right. I like when there's connections made here. Yeah, I think you'd be happy. Yeah, happy with <laughs> All right. So one last thing, and this is kind of more, more um, uh, I guess, a little bit you know, more meaty subject. Um, but I've had several conversations um, going back to the end of last year, continuing to the beginning of this year, around uh, kind of the lack of equity when it comes to VC money going to uh, uh, women-owned businesses mm -hmm. and people of color. Yep. And I think uh, it was Kate Bradley Chernis from uh, Lately, um, trylately.com, I think is, is her uh, website. But mm -hmm. uh, she said something to the effect of like only 2% of the VC money available goes to women-owned businesses. And, mm -hmm. and it's like 0.1% uh, if it's a black woman-owned business. So, yeah. and we had a conversation before we, we started, you know, the broadcast a couple of weeks ago where you, re, you were really, that was something that was, you really wanted to talk about 
with respect yep. to your feelings and also uh, with Norwest partners. So why don't you just take a few minutes to talk about that? Yeah, well, thanks for bringing it up, Brent. I, for me, this is this is this is a really you know important uh, area, and I'll just I'll just say this that our industry does not have enough people of color uh, and women. Full stop. You know, we 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 haven't done a great job in um, bringing underrepresented groups, uh, supporting diversity, supporting inclusiveness, and. I am very, very passionate about making sure that you know we do what we can to um, to, to drive change here. And so, you know, one of the things that we're doing at Norwest, you know, we've we're, we're just focused right now heavily on prior, prioritizing diversity across the firm. Just not not just you know within our portfolio, absolutely in the broader venture ecosystem. And you know, we're we're working on hiring more candidates of, uh, of color on an investment team right now and bringing on more entrepreneurs of color into our investment pipeline. And uh, you know, in June, we actually, we developed a working group. Uh, it was informed by a pledge to action that we, um, that we uh, publicly announced. It's really organized into three action teams. There's a hiring team and they're, they're, their goal is to enable us to hire more candidates of color into our investment team. And that's, that's something we take very, very seriously. And, and, you know, you and I talked about this before, you know, if, if we've learned anything in our careers, diversity across, you know, just people from all different walks of life and different and bring different views and result in better outcomes. And I am a hundred percent a big believer in this. And I just think that, Within the startup ecosystem, within the venture and investment community, there is so much more work to do to, to do here, and we will all be better uh, if we can make progress there. The second group, though, in in that is our we call it the wiring group, and this this group is plan of action is to bring more entrepreneurs of color into the investment pipeline and to invest in their companies. It's a very conscious effort, and uh, it's something again that we we take really seriously, and I personally take uh, really seriously. And lastly, we call this the portfolio piece of this is that it's a team design designing programs and really just sharing uh, resources that are actively going to support diversity and inclusion within our existing portfolio companies. And so, you know, part of uh, part of this is not just speaking the words, but actually walking the walk and, you know, becoming part of you know, great industry groups outside of Norwest is part of a part of how we do this. And it's part of sporting, um, you know, as we go out and we try to, um, you know, meet new and cultivate new great entrepreneurs, maybe first time entrepreneurs, which for me is really exciting because, you know, we're working with groups that, you know, uh, you know, support, you know, underprivileged groups and, um, uh, you know, at the early education uh, level. So I think that's where it starts. You know, the earlier we can start, you know, inspiring uh, girls and uh, people of color to get involved in, you know, things like coding and tech and just other areas within within our industry, inspire some of them to become investors. That's something that I think is going to make the industry so much more powerful. And we're going to just we're going to we're going to build better companies and we're going to do better for the world in general. So I, I know that's a lot, but you know, you and I talked about it uh, at length. But 
you know, something that I take very seriously and something that Norwest uh, takes extremely seriously. So thanks for bringing it up. And, you know, I would encourage, you know, any, uh, anyone who, uh, you know, would love to get into the world of investing or has a great idea and maybe you've never been an entrepreneur before, um, but, you know, you want to get involved. And, uh, you know, and, you know, it, we, we want to inspire folks to come to us and uh, you know we're we're a very very welcoming group of people at Norwest, and welcome all people and all ideas. So you know, please reach out to me anytime. Would would love to hear from you. And where can people do that? What's the best way for them to reach out to you? Um, you know, one great way is just to, quite frankly, to email me. I mean, it's you know kind of old fashioned, but hey, why not? Uh, sbchuck at nvp.com. Uh, you know, send me an email and uh, would, would, would love to talk to you, you know, one-on-one. And of course, uh, we also have uh, our careers.nvp.com site, which is a great way to go through, you know, literally hundreds of different portfolio company opportunities. Um, and if you see something that's interesting, reach out to me because, you know, I might be able to help, you know, uh, teach you a little bit, just share a little bit more about that company, maybe what they're looking for, maybe even help uh, in, in the process. But yeah, again, that's, you know, any way to engage uh, is, is a great way to engage. And um, yeah, it's thanks a lot. Thanks again for bringing it up, Brent. No, I, I absolutely. I think it's great. I, I love that, uh, that's your perspective on that. And I, I'm glad that you feel like you want to, you want to do something to change that. So that's great. Um, by the way, uh, Sean said that the, the Browns last one, a, NFL championship. So right there, we know it wasn't Super Bowl. Uh, it was 1964. Oh, uh, yeah. Right uh, around the time before my parents got married. And I wasn't even a I wasn't even a sparkle in their eye. But hey, you know what? I'm sure my dad was guaranteed watching that game because he grew up in Cleveland. My parents both grew up in Cleveland. And so he, he's been a Browns fan from the beginning of time. Well, that's good because they they used to like I think they won seven championships in ten years back in the forties and fifties or something like that. So that's cool. And sorry, dude, <laughs> like the D- Detroit, we're going back into the fifties for them. So it's uh, <sighs> it's been a little rough. But hey, I appreciate you spending time here and, and talking about this because I think all that you said is interesting and uh, as well, it's a lot of it is is important, and particularly that last part. I'm so glad that you were able to talk about that some. So hey, man, let's definitely uh, do this sooner rather than later because this is a lot of fun would love to hey brent it's a real honor and i you know again you and i go way back and i really love reconnecting with you you're one of the nicest guys on the planet i was just talking to your your um guest from yesterday adam blitzer about this and we both agree <laughs> just it, it's kind of like one of the it's a saying you know if you don't like brent leary there must be something wrong with you we, we should probably talk <laughs> appreciate, uh, appreciate all, everything you do man all the bill collectors Listen to what he just said. Okay. <laughs> Thanks, man. And uh, we'll, we'll definitely be catching up sooner rather than later. Sounds good. Sounds good. Thanks again.